Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I've got a word tonight that it is outside of my normal. So you know what? When, when the Holy Spirit gives you a whole assignment and it's a teachy assignment, I'm just like, that's, that's more Pastor Mark's field. Like, he's the teacher. But we are going to dive into the word tonight. And so I just hope you brought your Bibles and notebook because we are going to go a different route. But it's going to be good. Amen. So studying this out, I was just really looking at what are some kingdom principles that we need to be getting our foundation set in. And that Pastor Mark's been doing a phenomenal message on just kingdom versus religion, kingdom versus old mentalities. And so tonight we're going to be talking about kingdom service. And kingdom service, really, it's the heart and the nature of the king himself. And so we're going to look really quick at a, just a couple quick foundational scriptures that show us that we have a part to play in God's kingdom. So many times, I mean, there's been multiple scenarios where I've talked to people and they've said, well, you know, it looks like you guys have everything going on. It looks like you've got it all taken care of. And it's like, uh, nope, 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 definitely not. I mean, if you're here, there's a reason you're here and there's a purpose behind it because God's not just willy-nilly just saying, oh, yeah, just go over there. No, he purposefully places people in the body where it pleases him and that you are there to bring a fit and a supply and to connect with what God's got going on. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 18, just pulling out a couple of verses out of 1 Corinthians 12, it says, but now God has set the members. Everybody say set. So God is purposefully placing. He's the one orchestrating this. Set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Not I please, not Pastor Crystal pleased. No, it's just how God pleased. And I'll be honest with you, back two years ago, when Pastor Ashley was pregnant with Austin and she said, I need you to run with youth, I was terrified because that's not where I was placed. I was better with the little people, not the ones that like to talk back or they have some crazy questions, not those ones. But now looking to where God has placed me for this season and for what I'm doing, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. And the opportunities that I've had to be able to share with these students and these ones that are graduating and going about, I just know for a fact, man, I am right where God needs me to be. And that is a position in a just, when you know you're in the perfect will of God, there's no greater feeling than that. And we would talk to people all the time whenever we first told them we were moving to Valdosta, they'd be like, well, I mean, dear Lord, why are you guys moving to Valdosta from St. Augustine, Florida? That's where we vacation. Yep, we're, we're moving there. And they're like, oh my gosh, why would you do that? Because God called us there. And I remember my mom used to always tell me and my brother, there's no better place to be than in the perfect will of God. It doesn't matter where that is. You have to go and you have to obey. And so for us, we always knew that God's going to place you where he needs you, where you have a fit, an assignment, and he'll promote you in those seasons. That's where you need to be at. And then over in verse number 27 of the same one, we see that it kind of wraps up that whole passage. It says, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you has a part of it or is a part of it because you have an assignment. And I was talking to my grandpa. I mean, he turns, what, 90? 
90 in July and still kicking, still driving a car, doing all this other stuff. But the saddest thing for me is to see that he feels like his assignment period's over and that, well, it's, it's too late for me to do that. I'm like, if you're still breathing, you still have a purpose. The reason you're still here is because you have something else to give. And so trying to get him to understand that it's never too late to follow God is what we're working on now. And so for us in this room, it doesn't matter how old we are, what we've gone through, what mistakes we've made, what choices that we've gone through that led us down a path that we weren't supposed to go. It doesn't matter. God can still restore what he's originally designed. You guys understand that, right? I mean, we could go all the way back to the beginning tonight, but we're not going to. But you guys know I love going back to the very beginning because God didn't just leave everything in a mess. So many times people just get in a mess and feel like that's it. They're just hopeless now. But God's original design was never to leave Adam in a mess. I mean, dear Lord, if you actually go back and look at Genesis chapter 3, when Adam screwed up, the very first time he screwed up, he took responsibility for himself. We've got to go hide. We've messed up. God's looking for him. And I don't know about you, but I mean, my four-year-old loves to be sneaky now. And Isaac loves to run around and to hide and do everything. And so you'll be walking through a store and you turn around and that little joker's gone. And it makes your parent heart just kind of go, wait a minute, whoa, where is my... So I'm like, Isaac, 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 get back over. Where are you? And he pops out from the, like, the whole little clothes thing. I'm right here. It's like, no, you need to be right here. Just quit running over there, be right here. Get back where you need to be at. And so God was doing the same thing with Adam. Adam, where are you at? Well, I hid myself. Why did you hide yourself? Because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? Goes down this whole redemption plan. We see that Jesus comes back. And so God had this original intent for mankind that you would have a purpose. You would have a destiny assigned to you, that it's unique. And every one of us, it's not found just in the word. There's some general will of God that we are all to make disciples. We're all to go and preach the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to tell everybody we see about the kingdom of God. But there's some very specific purposes that you have that the only way you're going to find out about them is if you seek the one who made it. You get, become intimate with the Father, and he will start showing you. And somebody said, how did you know you always want to be with working in children's ministry or working with family ministry? I said, God never gave me an audible voice. And I said, but he put a drawing on my heart. And every time I would be in that assignment, I could feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. And I said, and it felt at peace. I said, there was no, hey, this is what you're going to do. And I'll tell you, if you've been with us long enough, you've heard some of my testimony. I've gone through some different changes. I've gone through some different positions. But each season, I know I'm right where God needs me to be. And so with you, you might be struggling in a new season or going through the same season, whatever it might be. Just take courage knowing that he knows where you need to be at. And at this moment, you're right here right now. So be in the moment tonight, be plugged in, and let's receive. Amen? And so God designed you with this whole plan with you in mind. And so I love what Miles Monroe, and Miles Monroe did so many phenomenal teachings. He's gone and passed now, but he did so many phenomenal teachings on the kingdom of God. And so one of the things that he pulled out was four keys to help you understanding the difference between a purpose-filled life and a life with no meaning. 
So a purpose-filled life versus a life with no meaning. And so I'm going to give you those four keys. And you've heard Pastor Mark say them at one point or another. But the four keys, the number one is the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without a purpose. Number one is the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without a purpose. Number two, the greatest challenge in life is knowing what to do. The greatest challenge in life is knowing what to do. And I'll give you a little helper there. The Holy Spirit's great at helping you find out what to do. He will give you insight that other people don't have that you can trust his words. Moving on. Number three, the greatest mistake in life, the greatest mistake in life is being busy but not effective. The greatest mistake in life is being busy, but not effective. And then number four. This one's deep. The greatest failure in life is being successful in the wrong assignment. The greatest failure in life is being successful in the wrong assignment. And so we see the difference between a purpose-filled life and a life with no meaning. And we can probably point out people in our mind that are just going through the motions, just going day by day, not knowing what to do, the busyness of life, just weighing them down, and they just don't have a drive about them. And so we realize that the enemy's smarter than what we give him credit for sometimes. So if he can't get you and keep you from your purpose, he'll do his very best to keep you busy in doing other things to keep you distracted from your purpose. And so we're going to look at a guy tonight, and I normally minister on, like, Paul, or I love ministering on Jesus, obviously, but we're going to look at a different guy. His name's Simon Peter. Everybody heard of him before, right? Okay, you might have heard him in the Bible a few times. But we're going to go, and we're going to look at a few different verses. Um, Let's go over to... Well, let's start off with this, because obviously in service, in serving the king, we have to first realize that this was not something that God ordained, set up as a kingship, and then he had servants under them. No, we serve a servant king, Jesus. And so Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I think we got it, right? It says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. And so the first thing I wanted to pull out is actually in John chapter 13. And this is the story of how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And we're going to pull out some key points in here. We're going to look at Peter's reaction. And then we're going to dive in a lot deeper. I mean, a lot deeper. So I hope you're ready. It's going to be different, but it's going to be good. But starting in verse number one, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The supper being ending, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going to God. So Jesus knew his assignment. He knew his position, where he was going, what authority he held. Then it goes on. Now, it doesn't 
it might not mean much in verse 4. But in verse 4, it says, Arose from the supper, and he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. You have to understand one thing about a king is a king was recognized by his wardrobe. And that whatever the king wore back in the day, I mean, it recognized as his kingship. But any time they took off that wardrobe or they took off that position, they were laying down that right. But Jesus was showing them that I am stripping off everything that I have to take the lower position. And then we go on and we read here in verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? I got I, I Going through this study and reading about Peter, and especially John, who's writing all these things, it's hilarious the relationship they have. And I encourage you guys, go back and read when John's writing about Peter and study those things out. Pretty funny relationship. But you would think in this moment, Peter is fully aware of what Jesus is doing because it says he was already washing the disciples' feet. Then he came to Simon Peter. So Jesus said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. So then we go on to the next verse in verse 8. Peter said to him, he said, you shall never wash my feet. I'm sorry, but if my master or my teacher, the one I'm following to be like, is doing something, I'm probably not going to tell him not to do it. I mean, I probably should be paying attention to the teacher, right? And so he goes on. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Give me just wash my whole thing. I want to be all in. I'm all in Jesus. And so Jesus said to him, he who's bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. And so I kind of put myself into Peter's mode there, and I'm thinking, man, if Jesus is starting to let them know there's one person in here who's going to betray me, man, I'd be checking my heart going, is that me? Is that me? Jesus, 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 are you talking about me? Who are you talking about? What is going on, Jesus? What is going on? So he goes on. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So then he had washed their feet, taken his garment, sat down again. And he said to him, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so we see here that Jesus is putting a great emphasis on do not neglect the lower positions. If you go all the way back through the kingdom, you'll realize like the, the least will be first and the first will be last. And you see, it's a, it's, it's a complete upside down kingdom compared to the world system. But really, if we're going to look at it, then it's a right side up kingdom because this world has fallen. And so Jesus is trying to establish in their thinking that the greatest among you is your servant. 
the one who serves others. And so now he's leaving them no excuse. What I just did for you, yeah, it might have been nasty. I mean, dear Lord, just think, they wore sandals, they walked on dirt roads, it had to be gross. But he said, what I've done for you, I did as an example. So now you should go do likewise. Go do it to others. But we realize that service is actually the highest manifestation of kingdom culture. That people around us don't really care about all that we know about God's kingdom until they see how we operate in it. People aren't looking to find out if you have a certain degree in theology or they're looking to find out. They want to know your heart and they want to know how you really are. They're looking for the real things, but the real things only show by actions. And so we see that the heart of the kingdom of heaven is love and that God is love, but the action of love is service. It's we are the hands and feet and we portray love by our actions, our motives, our behaviors. That's how we show love to all these other people. And so Jesus is showing love to his disciples by doing the very thing he showed them by just washing their feet. But Peter's funny because Peter obviously is like, you need to wash all of me. And he's like, no, I don't. Just a simple act. That's all I need. So then we go on and we see another account with Peter in Matthew chapter 16. And so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20, we've all seen this before, but he goes off and when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? Or say, I the son of man am. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And so that's a personal question for them. And I've asked the youth multiple times, like, what is one thing I need to know about you? Or what's one thing if I asked somebody else, if they know this person, what would you say about them? And they struggle sometimes. And they're just like, uh. And I remember I was at Lowndes High School and I was talking to all the baseball guys. And I said, all right, what are you known for? What do people talk about you in school? Or what is, what is your reputation? So I started just calling them out. I was like, do you know that guy? Okay, what is he known for? And one of them was like, he's gluten-free. I was like, well, hey, at least you know that about him. That's great. Another one's like, he's really tall. And I'm like, well, yeah, I already knew that about him. I saw him when I walked in. I mean, what else do you know about him? And they, uh, uh, but this is what the disciples were faced with was, but who do you say that I am? And so obviously Peter's one of those ones who he's not too shy to speak up. And so it says here, he says, Simon Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. But Peter has got this God-given ability now where he knows who Jesus is. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. And so Peter is on this journey with God now. 
and on this journey with Jesus. And obviously, if we skip to Acts, we can see where Peter spoke right after they all, the day of Pentecost happened. 3,000 were added to the church, all these wonderful things. But I want to back up because before we get to his highlight reel, we got to look at all the junk he went through. And so when Peter is following Jesus, he is a man of passion and love for what Jesus is. But then Jesus talks about how he's going to, right after this conversation, he's going to go, he's going to die, and and Peter's like, may it never be, Lord. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. We just went from you going to have the keys to the kingdom to now get behind me, Satan. So Peter's probably like, whoa, 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 what happened to what happened to that conversation we just had, Jesus? But Peter was also learning something, and he was developing something. And Jesus wanted him to know the real meaning of what it was going to be that Jesus, the assignment Peter had once Jesus was gone. And so obviously, if we go on back over to John, and we're looking towards the end of John, John chapter 18, just to paraphrase, John 18 talks about how Jesus is taken into captivity and they show up and he's like, who are you looking for? And he's like, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, I am he. And they all like fell down on the ground. And he's like, who are you looking for? And they're like, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, I already told you, I'm he. Let's do this. Peter pulls out a sword, cuts off the right ear of one dude, a servant. And he's like, no, 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 stop. We've got to let this play out. This is what my assignment is. This is my purpose. And so after the death, burial, resurrection, I went back and I found the verse I was looking for because after Jesus comes out of the tomb in Mark's account, in Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, this is before he's been risen, um, before he's come to see everybody else, it says in verse number 6, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, who has been crucified, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where he, they laid him. But go. And I love what this says. Because obviously, right before Jesus died, Jesus told Peter, you will deny me three times. Peter and Jesus were like best friends. There's no way he was going to turn his back on the Lord. And he told him, there's, there, no, there's no way. And then one scenario happens. He said, no, I'm, I'm not with him. I don't, I don't know who he is. The second scenario comes up. You're, you're that guy who's been around, that Jesus guy. He said, no, that's not me. Then he gets vulgar with the one. No, that is not me. I don't know who you are. And then the rooster crows and says that Peter then was in sorrow. He just denied his Lord. And so Peter is feeling all sorts of junky. I mean, he's feeling like the utter bowels of the earth. If you can ever imagine, if you've screwed up really bad and you just feel like, oh my gosh, how can the Lord ever forgive me of this? It's probably how Peter felt. And so Peter now is on his own. He's still with the disciples, still following them around, but he knows what he did. And so in verse number seven, though, it says, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him and he, as he said to you. And so even though Peter may have messed up, 
He has now denied Jesus three times. Jesus still had an assignment, and God had an assignment for Peter, that he said, it's not over yet. I need you. So go get Peter. And there's two things that make this kingdom nature unique of service. Two things. Number one is it's the love of God through action. Service is showing people the love of God through action. And so God doesn't have just love and he doesn't just give love. It says over in 1 John 4 that God is love. And so if we want, it's his very nature. So if we want to be examples of the kingdom of God, then the first thing we have to do is we have to get the right type of love. And that in our actions should portray love. And so love just isn't this worldly definition of love where it's just sweep everything under the rug. No, love corrects. Love encourages. Love will, if you're running out in the street, love is going to scream your name to get you to turn around before you get hit by a car. Love's not going to say, well, they made their choice. Good luck. No, love's going to stop. I mean, dear Lord, if one of my children is going to go and do bodily harm to themselves, I will do everything in my power to make sure they don't. Even if that means I'm running out in the street with them. Yes, it might be a sacrifice, but guess what Jesus did? He sacrificed for love. It was an action of love. And that we have to see that he, Jesus didn't wait for us to accept him to die on the cross. He didn't just say, well, let me go ahead and just, I'll get my order list. And once everybody accepts me, if I have enough people, then I'll go to the cross. Jesus wasn't looking for pre-orders. Jesus went through and said, Father, it's not my will, but your will be done. And so if no one accepts me, I'll do it for you. And so Jesus did. And he did it before even any person accepted him. He said, I'll die for him. But then the second thing that we see about this unique nature of God is it's caring. And God's nature is caring for people. If he didn't care about people, then why would he go through so many generations to build this bloodline and to build this unique, what they call the scarlet thread, that you can go from Genesis all the way to Revelations. You can see how God has orchestrated man after man after woman after woman and made sure his will was accomplished on this earth because he cared about humanity. He cared about the very thing he created. And so he never wanted to just leave us forsaken. I mean, dear Lord, even whenever the times of Noah were happening and people were running rampant and just morality was out of control, and so many people, it says sin was being compelled upon sin, and it was just horrible. God didn't just wipe out everybody, but he said, I need another bloodline that I can continue through. I need a one righteous person. That's all I need. Same thing with Jesus, is that Jesus came at an appointed time. He didn't come too early. He didn't come too late. He came at the right time. And because of that timing and because of that assignment, Here's the thing about Jesus that it blows my mind is that it says Jesus was tempted on all accounts, but yet did not sin. So that tells me right there that the humanity side of Jesus had every chance to walk away, but he chose not to. 
because he said there's a greater purpose. There's people counting on me to make the right choice. That's a heavy weight. But you got to think, the same assignment Jesus had and the same purpose that he had, ours isn't less. God still has an assignment for you and has a purpose for you that, guess what? There's somebody that you will reach that I won't ever talk to. I won't come in contact with them, but you might. And it's all about what is your willingness to obey? Are we following this kingdom nature of service where it says, Lord, I want to love in action and I want to show caring as an example of who you are? So Jesus goes on. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse number 15. It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Some translations say, Tend to my lambs. But you see, Jesus and Peter were having two different conversations. When Jesus asked Simon, Peter, do you love me? That's the Greek word agape. And that's the God kind of love. The selfless, giving, caring love. That it lays apart myself. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He loved us so much that he gave himself no matter the cost. Peter, on the other hand, when you go back in the Greek and you look at these verses, he responds with the phileo love, which is that friend or that fond of an individual type of love. And he tells him, he said, feed my lambs, tend to my lambs. And obviously, if you know anything about farming or about animals, the lamb is a baby sheep. And so one thing that the Lord pointed out to me and that we'll see here is that there's a progression that takes place in this conversation. That number one, you're going to tend to my lambs. You're going to feed the young ones. So the babies in Christ, God wanted to make sure that he pointed out every single avenue. That yes, Peter was going to be kind of the first pastor of the church. He was going to be the leader. He was going to be the shepherd But there's an assignment far greater for all of us that we can find in this, that there's an assignment for us to care for the body of Christ, that we all have a part to play in that. And so we see that to feed what meant literally to tend as a shepherd or to be a supervisor or to rule over the flock. So he's saying you take care of the little ones. Then he goes on in verse number 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? That agape God kind of love. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend to my sheep then, shepherd my sheep. So to shepherd the sheep is to feed or tend to the flock or to rule or govern as a ruler over the pasture. To make sure that whatever comes near them, that he's protecting that flock. And then he goes on and says to flourish in pasture food, to nourish them, to cherish as one's body. 
So he's telling him, take care the way I would take care. You will shepherd the flock, watch over them spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. You govern it, watch over them. Then in verse number 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? But this time he changed it. It was the phileo kind. It wasn't the agape kind because he was trying to finally get to Peter's level and realize where he was at. He said, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. This one, I was sitting in my office with my wife this morning, and I was like, oh, my God. Because to feed the sheep is to put out to pasture to graze. And what I saw there is that it's exactly what we're called to do with the body of Christ. You get people born again, they're babies in Christ. They can't handle solid food. You got to give them the milk. You got to nourish them. You got to cherish them. You got to show them the care and the love to get them to grow up. Then from there, you start showing them how to be mature in their walk in the faith. And then finally, our assignment is not to just get them mature and get them just them finally fed where they're just sitting in here happy and fed. No, to put out to pasture is to send out. And so Jesus is having this conversation with Peter and he's telling him, you must raise them up. You must protect them. You must get them mature and then send them back out. And that when we finally realized that he was wanting Peter to understand the care that he had for us, Peter had to go through a lot of stuff. I'm not encouraging you to go through all the stuff that Peter did. But Peter had to learn how to really love like Christ loved. That it was going to be sacrificial for him. He was going to lay down his own desires, his own wills. Peter, even as you read on and when Paul shows up, there's still some issues Peter had. Don't get me wrong. God didn't use perfect people. You got to understand that. He was not looking for perfect people to do his assignment. He was looking for willing people, people that were available, that would just lay aside all their stuff. When he first came to the disciples, he said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Lay down your nets and come in with me. And they left everything and said they abandoned all. Then he had multiple accounts where people would come to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he said, well, great. Don't go back and bury your dead. Let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. I can't do that. He had one rich young ruler. He said, teacher, I've done everything. I've kept the law. I've done this. I've done that. And he said, man, one thing you lack. Just go sell everything. Come follow me. And he said he walked away grieved. He couldn't do it. And so Jesus isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for available people. He's looking for people that will say, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll get in my assignment. I'll get in my purpose. I'll do your will, no matter what the cost. And whenever you finally get into that moment where you realize that it's for the kingdom of God and it's for others, then you finally reach where Jesus was at and where Peter had to get to. Because Jesus never once, I mean, if you think about it, 
He had his own will. He even said that in the garden. Lord, not my will, but your will. So that tells me right there that he had his own will, that he could have said, no, Lord, I'm not doing it. You got it wrong. You messed up the plan. But he didn't. And he said, Father, I'll follow you. And so when we see that Peter, obviously, he's not the perfect guy. But I always want to put myself in almost like their situation in their shoes. And I can see where Peter would be upset. Jesus is asking him over and over, do you love me? I mean, how do you not know I love you? I've followed you for the last three years. I've been in, just engaged with everything that you've had. Yeah, I screwed up. I messed up. And you told me I was going to deny you, and I denied you. But you still called for me. And here I am. And Jesus was wanting him to know that this is the love that's going to be required to lead my people, to lead the church. And if you go over to Acts chapter 1 on the day of Pentecost, whenever everybody's up in the upper room, everybody sees what's going on, and they think they're all a bunch of day drinkers, and they're all crazy and everything else. And Peter shows up. He says, man, they're not drunk like you suppose. They've all had an encounter. And he ministers the first Sunday message. I don't know if it was on Sunday or not, but they ministers the first message. And it says, that day 3,000 were added to the church. To the church. Because Peter had learned how to love like Jesus loved. He realized that it's about service and action. If you go back through and you start reading all the way through Acts, they had to get multiple people to come alongside them because they were spending so much time serving the body that it was taking away the time in the scriptures. And honestly, for me, I learned at a very early age, and I heard it all the way through Bible school, that if the pastor is doing all the work, then something is wrong. Because you can't do that. And especially for Pastor Mark and Ashley and me and my wife, I mean, we are thankful for every person that is connected with us because guess what? We can't do it without you guys. And that service in the kingdom is not about just something that we ask or we do, but service is about showing our community the love and the care that Jesus has for them. And that there's people out there that they have never experienced the kingdom of God like what we show. They've never experienced the excellence that we portray in every classroom or by every door and I have pastors that come in that are blown away. And they're like, so how many people are you guys running? I said, well, we're close to 300 now. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I thought you were going to say it was over at least 600 by the way you guys are operating. I said, what's funny is we were operating at that level when we only had two people. So I said, it's nothing new for us because we're here to express the love of God. And honestly, I mean, for me, Dealing with all these students and things like that, there's so many opportunities that I've talked to high school students at Lowndes and Valdosta that they haven't been to church in a long time. And I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of them that won't go back to church because of what they've seen, what they portrayed, what they felt. And honestly, it wasn't anything that God desired, but it was more of a man's trait or religious rituals or religious tendencies that blocked them. And they said, it just seems so fake. 
man, that just grieves me. I'm like, I don't know what happened or what was said, but I just want to apologize because that's not how my God wanted you to be treated. That's not how my God would portray himself. And so I'm sorry if man has now skewed you from my God, but give him another chance. And I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of times that when I go around students, I don't have to preach the name of Jesus because I will let my actions and my lifestyle preach louder than the words that I could actually tell them in a school. And honestly, they'll realize that there's something different. And they do. I mean, I've got those phone calls at 11 o'clock at night that, hey, I need to talk. Can you talk to me? Yes, absolutely. Not a, I've never had a conversation about Jesus or anything else with them on full, but they called and they said, I just don't know what to do and I'm so stressed out and I have to make a big life choice and I just need somebody to talk to. Hi, how's it going? Let's talk and let me tell you about Jesus and the plan he has for your life. But it's opening those doors through action and service that it shows the love and the nature of our king. The people don't care about how much you know the Bible. They want to know how much you care about them. They want to see your heart for the people. And that Peter had to learn how to have a heart for people. I mean, he's the same dude that's going around chopping people's ears off. Same guy. And Jesus had to tell him, no, 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 it's not going to happen. Here's what we need to do. You need to tend to my lambs, take care of them, shepherd my flock, love them, cherish them, and then get them ready to send them back out. And so even though we don't all might not know our purpose, might not know our assignment, you still have an assignment to serve in the kingdom of God. And I'm not just talking about here. Do not get me wrong that service is not about just coming to Anchor Faith Church and serving on a Sunday or Wednesday. By no means. Service is when you are at your job Monday through Friday doing your normal day-in, day-out routine that you are open for God to use you at any moment to say, God, here I am. Who would you like me to speak to in Walmart today? Who would you? I mean, Miss Beth, dear Lord, I'm going to brag on you because she's a Lyft driver. You guys know what Lyft is, right? I had so many new guest cards from this last Sunday, and I said, how did you hear about us? Oh, our Lyft driver told us about you. I said, I know who that is, and she's a good friend of mine, and she's standing at the door, and she will be ready to greet you. I mean, it blew me away. But you know what that, what that is? She's finding opportunities. She's looking for them. For me and my wife, it's super easy. I mean, to invite people to church to just, it's, it's funny. I will, I, my timing can be off sometimes because I don't, I don't recognize what's going on around me. And so we've gone to lunch so many times where our waitress has just had a really rough time. So I strike up a conversation. Are you having a rough day? Yeah. And I, normally it's a rough day. I mean, it's, it's bad. I'm like, well, I'm Caleb. This is my wife, Crystal. Can we pray with you? And so this last time, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of the checkout line, and our waitress is taking our receipt, and we're paying for our bill. And I'm like, are you having a rough day? And I can, I can feel my wife. She's like, this is not the right time. It's not the right time. And so I'm like, can we pray with you? And I look over, and my wife is just slowly sleeping, and she's like, quick, quick, quick. And I'm like looking, and then I finally look behind me, 
after we, you know, just pray a simple, sweet prayer, just move on. I look behind me, and there's a whole line of people. I'm like, oh, I didn't even see them. Okay. But it's easy to find those opportunities where she's been able to minister to people or just talk to them and just pour out just her heart of how much we care about people that we don't even know. Because God's looking for opportunities to use people. He's looking for that availability. And it's not just at service time. I mean, it's literally in your daily workforce. There's so many places that I will not go. My wife will not be able to go. That you are constantly in contact with people around you that they might not talk to you all the time, but they're watching you. They're seeing that something's different about how you respond, how you act. And that, guess what? In the back of their mind, when something goes down, they know who they're going to. And so I just encourage you tonight. Service is what exemplifies the love of God in action. And so if you're not plugged in, plug in. If you're not willing to talk about Jesus or the kingdom of God in your workplace, let's get you built up to because there's opportunities. And especially that in the world we live in today, people are looking for the real thing. They're tired of the lies. They're tired of this false narrative. They're tired of this falsehood of everything around them. They want the truth. And we have the keys to the kingdom. We have the answers they're looking for. And so I just encourage you. And you know what? Just know this. The people that you serve, they might not be friendly. They might not be lovely. They might be just super irritated that you're even talking to them. Just know that. Actually, I have, a, I have a little segment out of one of Miles Monroe's book. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to close. He says here in his book, Applying the Kingdom. I highly encourage you to read that one. It's so good. But it says, service is not always easy. Some people are irritable, ungrateful, unloving, unlikable, and would just as soon bite your head off than look at you. Anybody know any of those people? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All done. All time. Sometimes people become so withdrawn and inwardly focused by the assaults of life that they seem to have no room in their hearts for this notion. Their, their perspectives of anything other than themselves is all they're focused on. Then he goes on to say, nevertheless, this does not excuse you from serving them with the same smile, same love, same gentle and patient spirit we would give to any other person who would need it. After all, they too are created in the image of God. Because we have to understand that every person we run into, they might not act like it, but they have the potential to be an image bearer of Christ, to be just like him. The assignment on their life is not null and void just because they choose him or they don't choose him. It says that the gifts of God are without repentance. He's assigned it to them if they use it or not. And so every individual that you run into, no matter the age, background, whatever it is, they have a purpose assigned to them. The question is, is can you help them find it? Or are they just going to keep running? Because one day they're going to have to give an account. And I mean, for me and my family and my wife, our whole goal 
is that when we finally get done with all this stuff, we stand before Jesus and we hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. Not, why did you waste your time while you were down there? Because there's a lot that's going on. There's a lot of things that are trying to weigh us down. They're trying to distract us from our purpose, but don't be distracted. Stay focused because somebody out there needs what you have. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.